0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Welcome to Jason Powell's Pro Wrestling Boom Podcast, a production of ProWrestling.net. Get ready for the latest news, analysis, and interviews featuring big names from the world of pro wrestling. Here comes the Boom! Thank you, Paul Allen, radio voice of the Minnesota Vikings. Impact Wrestling Rebellion took place on April 16, 2023, on pay per view, both television and fight TV. And the show was held in Toronto, Ontario at Rebel Entertainment Complex. Normally, we do our pay-per-view audio reviews exclusively for .NET members, but this week, I wanted to give everybody a chance to hear what we do on the member side of things when it comes to pay-per-views. I believe the last time we did this was in January, so we don't do this often, but with Impact crowning a pair of new champions guaranteed on this show, it seemed like a good opportunity to uh, dive back in. and let everybody uh, get a chance to hear the Impact Wrestling Rebellion audio review. And as we normally do, we'll start with a spoiler-free recommendation of this show before we get into anything spoiler-related. So maybe you were watching, was it night one of the NBA playoffs? Or you waited and waited for the Love is Blind special on Netflix? And you're probably still waiting for that, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, But uh, yeah, this uh, was a show that I think, if it appealed to you on paper, then I think uh, even at forty bucks, almost, it, I think it is worthy of a replay. If it was so, yeah. I mean, if you had something going on tonight and uh, you just weren't, uh, you know, you were on the fence about the show, whatever. uh Yeah, I, I think I can safely say it is uh, worthy of a replay. Good wrestling from start to finish, and again, the guarantee of a couple of new champions being crowned should put you over the top. Now, if this was a Peacock show, I would give you guys a few matches to uh, check out. Uh, But if you're paying $40, uh, chances are you're not just skimming through the show. You're going to watch the whole thing from start to finish. I will say, I think you can safely speed through the uh, Rebellion pre-show. I didn't think there was uh, much to write home about on there. It was fine, but uh, nothing of uh, real consequence on there. With that said, we'll get into the spoiler portion. I'll give you a bit of a buffer by telling everybody that, hey, if you enjoy the Impact Wrestling Rebellion audio review, know that uh, we do these for all the major television shows and pay-per-views. For the WWE shows, I'm joined by Jake Barnett and sometimes Will Pruitt for our uh, post-show audio review, same night. And uh, we also have John Moore doing the NXT, Colin McGuire doing the AEW Rampage, uh, Sam Robinson doing Ring of Honor, and the list goes on. So uh, if audio is your jam, we have a lot of it on the ad-free version of ProWrestling.net. It's ad-free both in terms of the website and our audio content. Visit PWMembership.net for more details. And you can also become a Patreon patron and get access to all the audio content ad-free. If the website isn't your thing, all that audio content is also there on Patreon. It's Patreon.com slash ProWrestling, D-O-T-N-E-T. You just have to spell out the .net on that one. All right, hopefully I've given you enough of a buffer. Let's talk about Rebellion in spoiler form now. Uh, the new champions, husband and wife duo, Steve Macklin and Deonna Purrazzo are the new champions. It was Deonna Purrazzo beating Jordan Grace in the pay-per-view main event, Steve Macklin defeating Kushida in the semi-main event. Uh, both of those titles were forfeited by the uh, previous champions, Mickey James with the knockouts, and of course Josh Alexander with the Impact World Championship both of them suffering injuries and unable to compete on this show. Uh, they knew for a while, obviously, with Alexander, that it wasn't going to happen. Mickey James, they waited until Thursday to make the official announcement that she would not be medically cleared to compete. And I think they made the right call when it comes to both title changes. That's a, a key thing coming out of this show. What would they do? Now, if Jordan Grace had won the championship, the knockouts title, I wouldn't be complaining. She's a very good wrestler, but she's all, she also feels made an impact. And there was a time where Diana Perazzo was the number one female in Impact Wrestling. But since then, since she dropped the titles, I mean, she teamed with Chelsea Green and, you know, just kind of goofed around in the knockouts tag division for a little bit. And it just, yeah, it really hasn't been anything to write home about. And so another loss here would have just kind of pushed her further down the ladder. By winning, all of a sudden now she has momentum. She's the knockouts champion. And I don't feel like anything negative happens with Jordan Grace. This isn't a loss that she can't bounce right back from. And on the men's side, I'm a big fan of the reinvention that Steve Macklin has done in Impact Wrestling. He was a member of the Forgotten Sons tag team in WWE, and I've talked about this many times, that I really appreciate when wrestlers who were in a position like he was, don't just go, you know what, hey, there's a lot of people that saw this Forgotten Sons thing, and I can make this work on the indies for a while. Uh, There's certain acts that you make a name for yourself, and it makes sense to keep that gimmick, right? That wasn't one of them. And so rather than just, you know, kind of come up with some variation of that, he reinvented himself. There's other wrestlers that are in similar positions coming out of WWE or, you know, even AEW as we move forward with that company. There's naturally going to end up being people coming and going. That I think it makes sense to just say, okay, this didn't work on the big stage. And really, yeah, I could probably ride it out for a little bit and get some bookings out of it. Or I could think long term and reinvent myself. A guy on this card comes to mind even. Dirty Dongo. I mean, how much more is there to get out of Fondongo? I, I think that it's over. I, I just kind of roll my eyes and get frustrated, and I've been saying that since he was in WWE. I know John Moore and I both were like, get this guy back into Johnny Curtis mode and up with this Fondongo stuff. And yet he's still doing a variation of it for impact wrestling. Where and just kind of hanging out in the mid card, under if you will. Whereas Steve Macklin reinvented himself and it took a while but he's a new Impact World Champion. Will they do anything with the husband and wife factor? It wasn't a big uh, talking point on this show. It's not something that Impact plays up, but they could certainly go there. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, The surprise of the show was that Nick Aldis walked out prior to the Impact World Championship match, and he sat in on commentary. And post-match, there was an angle with Scott D'Amore, imagine that, who was uh, hit from behind by Steve Macklin. And then Nick Aldis ended up getting in the ring and just kind of having a brief stare down with Macklin, who exited the ring. So Aldis uh, did say that uh, he the negotiating basically is over, and he is back with Impact Wrestling. So it certainly looks like they're foreshadowing a Nick Aldis-Steve Macklin championship match. Josh Alexander's injury is going to keep him out for a while. And so, yeah, I think it's a, a good time to bring in Nick Aldis to play that challenger role for the new champion. So I like that move a lot. Uh, With the uh, big stuff out of the way, let's kind of back up and we'll start with the uh, pre-show and then work our way through. If you want to follow along with my report, it is available at prowrestling.net on the main page. I did my live review for this pay-per-view. We do those for Impact pay-per-views, not so much for the Impact Plus shows, but uh, live reviews of all the Impact pay-per-views. The broadcast team for both the pre-show and the main show was Tom Hannafin and Matt Rewalt. They do very good work. And Dave Penzer was the ring announcer. Uh, they had a video package that opened the pre-show, and then they went right to entrances while the broadcast team was checking in. It was Champagne Singh, formerly Raj Singh, and Shera defeating Heath and Rhino in six ten. It was a uh, kind of a goofy finish with uh, Heath uh, rolling up and pinning Singh, but Shera pulled uh, Heath off of Singh from the floor, and then Heath turned his attention to Shera, and was rolled up by Singh, who put his feet on the ropes while getting the pin. And I think the idea is that Cher was supposed to add leverage by holding the feet on the ropes. He got there like just as a referee was hitting the, uh, the three. And, uh, so yeah, they go over, but then afterward, Rhino Gord sang. And so yeah, just kind of felt like, okay, the heels win. Baby faces get a measure of revenge. Nothing really was accomplished here. Uh, the second match was the knockouts tag team title match. And this was, uh, the spook fest with Taylor Wilde and Kylan King, the coven, uh, defeating Jessica and Rosemary. Uh, to retain the knockouts tag team titles. I didn't get a time on this one. I'm not a bad match. I'm just so over anything involving the Undead Realm and now Taylor Wilde and her tarot card reading. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it just impact us so many things well. And they treat so many things like it's just, you know, old school pro wrestling. I, I think they're trying to be something for everyone, but I don't know who the people are that really want to see the Undead Realm and all the uh, kookiness. Of the uh, the offshoot of it now with the uh, coven, uh, but again not a bad match. But uh, you know, as you would expect, the new knockouts champions retain their titles. Uh, then we went to a video package that focused on Mickey James forfeiting the knockouts title, and uh, the Jordan Grace and Diana Perazzo match that would determine the new champion. Uh, there was also during the show a video package for Josh Alexander forfeiting. The Impact World Championship, and uh, the focus on Kushida and Steve Macklin as the uh, for the Impact World to, to determine who would be the new champion of the men's division. Then we went to the main card.
0: With the Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: And uh, then Tom Hannafin and Matt Riewoldt checked in and uh, touted that two new champions were guaranteed to be crowned. They went right to the entrances for the Ultimate X match. And before we get to that, I should tell you that uh, one thing that jumped out is uh, it was red, very, very red. Uh, So they used the the Rebellion logo is red, and they had the uh, stage opposite the hard camera. And so you'd see that. Well, then this venue, it, it has like an upper deck to it. And so whenever they'd go to the sides, uh, the the upper, de- like the balcony area, the wall of the balcony also has red lighting on it. So there was just a ton of red. I guess Killer Kelly would be happy. I don't know. Uh, but uh, as far as the uh, for opening match is concerned, it was a team of Ace Austin and Chris Bay defeating the Motor City Machine Guns, Alex Shelley and Chris Saban in an Ultimate X match to retain the tag team titles in 1305. I really enjoyed the work. Uh, I didn't think the finish was all that special, though. Uh, there was a lot to like about this match. It this isn't going to be one where you know you're going to see all sorts of uh, crazy highlights on the uh, the next Impact Show. There just weren't that many. You know, we've seen some crazy spots in these Ultimate X matches over the years, and they did a little. But yeah, it was uh, a little more straightforward than I anticipated. Uh, but, and then down the stretch, it was Austin. Um, he was elevated. Actually, he elevated Bay onto the cables. They have that spot where Austin kind of uh, sends Bay into a cutter. Well, they did that on Shelley, but then when it looked like they were going to do the same to Saban, instead Austin elevated Bay onto the cables, and he uh, kind of crawled across. And Saban did try to stop him, but Bay was able to unhook uh, the uh, was able to unhook both title belts and drop them down to Austin so Austin and Bay end up getting the win. Yeah, it just wasn't uh, the most climactic finish that I've seen in an Ultimate X, that's for sure, but still really good work. I don't know if they meant... I I mentioned this in uh, my Impact audio review from from Thursday. I I don't know if they took this uh, Ultimate X approach once they knew that Josh Alexander was not going to be able to defend the title. It seemed rushed to me because we just saw... Bay and Austin win the tag titles not that long ago. And so with the guns chasing them, hey, you can have really good traditional matches. And I I don't know if they just felt like, well, we're down Alexander. And at the time, we might be down Mickey James. And of course, it turned out that she did miss this show. And so let's do something else to beef up the card. If that's it, I understand. I, I, I don't know that it's necessary. These are two really good teams. But hey, Ultimate X is a selling point for impact. If it wasn't that, I really don't get it. Because... You could have had two, three matches with this team or with these teams and then had the payoff match be Ultimate X if you wanted. And so, yeah, it just kind of seemed like they really rushed to this for some reason. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was enjoyable, a good opener, uh, a bit underwhelming just because of that finish. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, I set my hopes really high for these two teams. And, uh, when I say a bit underwhelming for them, uh, it was still very good. And I look forward to seeing what comes next from these teams. And the French broadcast team checked in for a minute. Uh, then we went to a Steve Macklin pre-tape, and uh, he just talked about uh, talked about how the whole situation sucks, being in Canada sucks. And uh, he said it was the biggest night of his career, as well as Kushida's, and he talked about becoming the new champion. And then we had a video package just set up the next match. And uh, we went, to, well, they, they showed Santino Morella's son, Marco, in the crowd his young son. And uh, then the design were out last. And I thought this was going to be a six-man tag match. And I was wondering which member of the design was going to sit out. Well, they all worked. It was just a handicap match. It ended up being Santino, Morella, Joe Hendry, and Dirty Dongo defeating the design, Dieter, Callahan, Angels, and Khan in 10:50. I thought Santino, he was limited in terms of how much he did in the match. But I thought he looked good when he was in there. Crowd was into it. The Cobra does nothing for me. The sleeve he pulls out. It doesn't matter. The crowd loved it. I don't get it. I've never understood the appeal of the Cobra. But people really do like it. And uh, the crowd was very receptive when he did hit Diener with it late in the match. Uh, Before that, though, we got the big payoff. So they've been doing this bit where Sammy Callahan has been trying to join the design. And it was a seven-step process. And seven steps felt like an eternity. And he finally completed this. And so, basically, it seems like he's in the group, I think. I don't even know if he was ever officially made a member. And, uh, yeah, down the stretch of this match, Diener handed him a bat that he wanted to hit, uh, that he wanted Callahan to hit Morella with. And, uh, finally, Callahan ended up hitting Diener with it instead. And that's when Santino used the Cobra. And uh, not long after that, he got the pin. So, Sammy Callahan spent months trying to get into a mid-card cult. And it was all a ruse. I don't get it. I, this might actually be better than Callahan sticking with the mid-card cult because it just was going nowhere. But now I guess we get to look forward to Sammy feuding with them. Can't say that I'm uh, all that excited about this. I did get a kick out of uh, the Joe Henry promo that was ahead of this. I think they go a little overboard with giving Henry Mike time and it's a little too cutesy and I think it's better in small doses. But he did mock Diener's pose and was just a... Uh, because he he that's what he does. He just has this pose that he does all the time. And uh, it deserves a little mocking. Uh Then Gia Miller interviewed Tommy Dreamer, Kelly, uh, Killer Kelly, Frankie Kazarian, Yuya Uemura, and Bupinder Gujar all on Team Dreamer. Uh, Tommy Dreamer spoke about his mother being hospitalized. And I believe she had a stroke, he said. And uh, she was able to open her eyes before he had to leave. But she was still unresponsive. And he was very emotional. Um, we laugh about how emotional Tommy Dreamer has been over the years, but certainly in a situation like this. It's understandable, and uh, my heart goes out to him. Uh, He said wrestling is his utopia, and uh, he would be going away for a bit after the match, uh, but he was surrounded by the people that he loves and uh, said that uh, they move forward so they can all live. And then he uh, thanked everyone who has supported him. So certainly best of luck to uh, Dreamer and his family. Uh, Then in the third match of the night, it was PCO defeating Eddie Edwards in a last rights match. Uh, Alicia Edwards came out with Eddie initially, but she did not stick around. She ended up coming out late in the match. It was your typical PCO-style match. I mean, if you've seen a PCO match, you know all the big spots, including uh, the big spot under the apron. The only question when he does the uh, big tumble from the top rope under the apron, is the person going to stay there or is PCO going to crash and burn? This time, Eddie stayed there and took it. Uh, But uh, down the stretch, uh, Alicia... Uh, hit it, used a shovel to hit PCO from behind with. He no-sold it and then pulled her into a super kick from her own husband. That was obviously meant for PCO. And then PCO bashed Edwards with the shovel a couple of times and choke slammed him into the casket and was able to close the lid. And so, yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of PCO matches and this was one of them, but uh, uh they really did work hard. And I mean, PCO's 55 years old. I've been amazed at this guy since he's come back and just seeing a lot of his stuff in Ring of Honor. Like, he's still doing these crazy things. And every year, he just keeps doing these crazy things. Uh, it, he's kind of a freak of nature in that way. I, I mean that in the best way possible. And then they went backstage to Gia Miller, who interviewed X division champion Trey Miguel. Well, at least uh, we think she did. Uh, this was an issue at the uh, Multiverse United show that they had over WrestleMania weekend. They would go to, you know, they're trying to play it off like it's live. And obviously, they pre taped these interviews, and they're having a problem getting them to play. Uh, at least that was the case at Mania Weekend. On this show, the volume didn't work. And so they tried to restart the video, and it still didn't work, and they just gave up on it and went to a video package of the uh, X Division title match instead. So I guess we'll never know what Trey Miguel was going to say. Uh, but yeah, I don't know why Impact keeps having similar problems here. Uh, then we had entrances for that match, and they went to Anthem executives who were shown in the crowd. Ed Nordholm was one. I believe Len Asper was one. Um, Impact, look, this is your ownership group. Uh, Scott Demore was out there and another executive, and I say another executive, and I'm not sure about the Anthem owner, because they didn't bother to come up with graphics for their own ownership people. I mean, come on. If you're ever going to come up with a graphic, kiss that ass, guys. Get that up, but yeah, I mean, it would have been nice to know uh, they, they were identified by uh, uh, Hannafin on commentary. But I was just kind of leery of rewinding at that point uh, with the stream, and so I'm just like, well, I think it was the Anthem owner. Uh, then we went to the uh, X Division title match, and the great thing about this is it was an elimination match. Triple threats are used oftentimes when they don't when they want to give you something, but they don't want to give you the the finish you want to see. Basically, they want to protect somebody in this match. And so they'll add a third person, and that person takes the loss. And, you know, we've seen it a million times. Uh, but back in the day, when ECW would do the three-way dances, they did elimination style. And I watch a ton of wrestling. I can't remember the last time I've seen an elimination match, a three-way elimination match. I wish this was more common. I don't expect, you know, everybody to do it. Because, again, I think there's a reason they're doing these triple threats. But I did. it was It was fun. I just... As soon as they added that stipulation, I was like, that's cool. Because you could see them setting up the triple threat based on the angle they did. But then when they said it's elimination, yeah, my ears perked up. And I'm like, I like that. And so Trey Miguel ended up beating Mike Bailey and Jonathan Gresham in this three-way elimination match re- to retain the X Division title. He went over in 1355.
0: With the Lucky Landslots, slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: Uh, there was a spot where uh, Gresham had put Bailey in a figure four and Trey leapt from the top rope and hit Gresham with the Meteora. And then he pinned Gresham, who still had Bailey in the figure four, even though Gresham was out. And then in the end, it was uh, Trey Miguel uh, pinning Bailey. Uh, So Miguel went for a move that Bailey stuffed, and then Bailey rolled Miguel up for a two count. But Miguel rolled through and held the tights while getting the three count. So a little bit of a disappointing finish, but hey, Miguel's a heel But, uh, yeah, keep the elimination matches coming. And uh, this was good. And I would enjoy any combination of matches involving these three, any singles matches they want to come up with. Uh, Gresham losing the way he did, I I didn't feel like there was any shame in it because he was on the verge of potentially submitting. Mike Bailey was the idea. And then uh, the finish of it certainly protected Bailey. I I just kind of felt like they went a little overboard. But, again, Miguel's kind of a pest heel. I'd like to see him be more than that. Uh, but that's kind of how they've been booking him. There's a little bit, it's not too, it's not over the top Miz Pest heel, but they do kind of have him resort to a lot of cheating. And uh, I just think he's a strong enough wrestler that go ahead and let him win clean more than they do. And, and he, he's going to be fine. And it's not going to make his opponents look all that bad. And then they went to a video package for the Hardcore War. And in the fifth match of the night, it was the babyface team of Tommy Dreamer. And Yuya Uemura, Bupinder Gujar, Killer Kelly, and Frankie Kazarian beating Team Bully, Bully Ray, Masha Slamovich, Kenny King, Moose, and Ryan Myers in 25 15 in a hardcore war. What the hell is a hardcore war if you didn't see this? Well, I would say imagine a, a War Games match without the War Games structure because it was the same rules as far as, like, two people start, and there's a man advantage. Uh, weapons were legal in this. But, yeah, there was no cage. There was no structure like that. And so it really was just a, a War Games match without the uh, the, the cage. And uh, I guess the heel team kind of took advantage of that, because Jason Hotch and John Schuyler ran out, and they've been uh, you know, hanging with Bully lately anyway, kind of being his underlings. And so it kind of became seven on five for a bit. But it still wasn't enough. Eventually, the uh, babyface team uh, rallied and ended up getting the win. And it was uh, it was that time where Bully, um, you know, they, they do a great job of just heat, 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 and more heat. And then when it's time, he uh, puts people over. And that's what he did here. Uh, down the stretch, it was uh, Dreamer putting Bully down with a Dreamer driver. And, uh, oh, were, I should back up. There was a fun spot. So they decided to have some fun with the... Uh, it was what was it on AEW, I believe, where the referees held the uh, ladder in place. And uh, people were up in arms about it, even though I've seen this in various promotions that the referees, they just usually do a better job of not getting it in the camera shot, as obvious as uh, this one. And so there were people that were all up in arms. Well, on um, Bully went to a ladder, and there were four referees due to the nature of the match, and he told them to hold the ladder for him, and they all declined. And he dropped off, and he grabbed one of the referees by the collar. But the other referees attacked Bully. This is kind of a cute comedy spot. And then Dreamer put him down with the Dreamer driver and covered him. And all four referees counted, but uh, Bully kicked out. And then Dreamer put Bully on top of a table, and he climbed the ladder. And the four referees all raced over to help hold the ladder in place for him. And, uh, yeah, he went about three-quarters of the way up and uh, splashed Bully uh, through the table and uh, got the 3 count. So yeah, Team Dreamer goes over, and uh, I mean this was fun. It was, uh, uh, it was fine. It, it was. Uh, the, I, I didn't keep. I didn't pay close attention to see if they. You know, being honest about the times. Usually in war games matches, they're not anyway. But I was kind of. I, I guess I should have paid a little closer attention to see how they did with that. But I thought it was fun, and uh, I'm not big on inter- intergender wrestling. I'm not like against it. It's just there's times I've really enjoyed it, like Tessa Blanchard and Sammy Callahan, for instance had some really good matches, so it's not like I'm just opposed to it. But yeah, there's just, oftentimes when I see it, it just looks hokey uh, because the the females are just really undersized compared to the men. And just, you know, hey, for some people, like Lucha Underground kind of position, all their wrestlers as like superheroes, and so people get into that. And there's some people that just don't care about it. I get it. To each their own. For me, it just it doesn't always work. But in this case, Killer Kelly and Masha Slamovich really added to this match. Uh, because uh, when they came out, they had some clever spots with them—a uh, staple gun that uh, Killer Kelly was using on the uh, the heels—and then decided to staple her own hand. Uh, but yeah, they definitely enhanced this match quite a bit, and I was—I thought they stood out more than some of the uh, male wrestlers who were involved in this. Lots of blood, lots of weapons, and so yeah, just all the carnage—it lived up to the billing. Uh, then they went to Kushida, who was warming up backstage, and uh, then they had a video package that set up the uh, Impact World Championship match. I was a little surprised at this point that they were going with this match rather than saving it for the main event. I just kind of assumed that they were going to go with Kushida and Macklin last. And then I quickly thought about it. I'm like, well, if Macklin's going over, maybe they want to close the show on a more fan-friendly note. Or, you know, they've also take great pride in their knockouts division. And maybe they just wanted to uh, use the opportunity to put them in the main event. I wasn't sure. But, uh, you know, I didn't have a strong feeling about it. And I may have missed the broadcast team. For all I know, they said something about it. and I just missed uh, that they said it was going to be the main event earlier, even on the pre-show. But, uh, yeah, if they did. I missed it. Uh, but then, before the uh, entrances for the uh, main event, uh, Nick Aldis was introduced. He came out wearing a suit and joined the broadcast team. And this is where he said the conversations are over. He is officially back in Impact Wrestling. And then uh, Macklin made his entrance, followed by Kushida. And in the sixth match, it was Steve Macklin defeating Kushida to win the vacant Impact World Championship in 1630. Really good back and forth action down the stretch. You know, Kushida worked his typical style where he's targeting that left arm throughout the match consistently uh, because he's setting up for the hoverboard lock that he uses as his finisher. And so he did that throughout the match. But then down the stretch, it was just, it really, it all paid off because He's really going for that. And Macklin's countering out of it. And it was just good back and forth suspenseful uh, suspenseful action. And I really, even though I, I expected Macklin to win this, there were times where I was like, eh, maybe not. And so, yeah, they did a great job with it. I, I enjoyed this. And uh, Macklin um, ended up uh setting up for a move, and Kushida countered into the hoverboard lock. But Macklin countered into a wicked-looking brain buster and got the three count. You know, there's some brain busters that look like suplexes. It takes the broadcast team telling you that it was it was a brainbuster and not a suplex for you to realize it was a brainbuster kind of like John Moxley and some of those death riders that he does where he's just kind of flipping the guy over on his back and it doesn't look like the head even came close to the mat. Well yeah, this was not one of those. Uh, this was a uh, wicked looking brainbuster and uh, so, and Macklin got the win and then he took the the mic after the match and said the referee wasn't the person who should present him with the title belt. He demanded that Scott Demore come out and present him with the title. Demore did come out and was willing to give him the belt, but Macklin insisted that he strap it around his waist. And uh, Scott Demore, being the uh, biggest badass in all of Impact Wrestling, uh, shoved the belt into Macklin's chest instead. Uh, but then, when um, Demore started to walk away, Macklin hit him with the belt. So yes, another angle involving Scott Demore. I think he does a great job heading up creative. I do think he goes a little bit overboard in putting himself on TV at times. But I, I also have to say, I'm happy he's back because, uh, yeah, I, I think they went about as far as they could with the uh, Santino run as the director of authority. Uh, but Nick Aldison entered the ring and went face-to-face with Macklin, who left the ring and uh, held up the belt on the ramp. And uh, he stood there and Alderson stood in the ring and they jawed at one another. So obviously foreshadowing a future match between those two. Then the broadcast team hyped some upcoming Impact Plus events. I didn't uh, mark down all of them. Uh, they did say the Anniversary pay-per-view is the next actual pay-per-view event. That's going to be held Saturday, July 15th in Windsor, Ontario. And they also announced the Multiverse United 2 show with New Japan for August 20th in Philadelphia. So there you go. Uh, I wasn't expecting that to uh, be announced for, I guess, uh, uh, already in August. But I thought maybe it would be something for next year. But that's cool uh the yeah uh, the two companies continue to work together and i'm happy that uh, Windsor's playing host to Slammiversary because it's a good venue it looks good on television they get good crowds there and so this shouldn't be one of those shows where like tonight uh it's a smaller venue and the hard camera faces the stage it uh, it should look a lot bigger than that uh, they just had some tv there and i thought it looked great uh then we had video packages or a video package set up the main event and then the entrances took place uh for both of the uh, title matches Dave Penzer delivered in-ring introductions for the title match, which I was like. And, in fact, uh, I think that was kind of TNA that brought that back, if I remember. Back, It's kind of common now, but back in the day, Jeremy Borash used to stand in the ring and deliver the in-ring introductions for the title matches. And I like that because uh, it just kind of made things, made the title matches seem special, made them stand out a little bit. I hope I'm not butchering that, but that's my memory of it. But as uh, if you've listened long enough, you know I have a terrible memory. Uh, but anyway, uh, in the main event, it was Deanna Perazzo defeating Jordan Grace in 17-10 to win the vacant knockouts title. Uh, down the stretch, Grace ended up clubbing Perrazzo a couple of times and then hit her with a Grace driver. That's her finisher, but it only got an earfall. fall. And then she placed her on the top turnbuckle and went for a superplex, but Perazzo fought back and hit her with a sunset bomb. And then Perazzo immediately applied, or ended up performing, I should say, the Queen's Cabinet pile driver and got the three count. And uh, they shook hands before and after the match. They hugged after the match. And uh, Grace left the ring and Peraza was holding up her title. And Hannafin closed the show on commentary. Uh, this was not, uh, you know, in hindsight, I, I think they probably would have been better off going with the Impact World Championship match last because you, granted, the heel won, but you still had the angle with this, And if they wanted to do a little bit more with that, I think they could have. Uh, the match they went with, I mean, it's you know two respectful babyfaces, and uh, the crowd was into it, don't get me wrong. But, yeah, I just felt like the uh, the world championship match, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, felt stronger just in terms of uh, just the, the crowd reaction. It just felt bigger. And, um, yeah, I, I, I wonder if they had it back, if they would uh, take a different approach with this. Because Perazzo again, has been just kind of floundering. It's been a while since I, I felt like Deanna Perrazzo was a real player in the knockouts division. Like, she's been around, but she hasn't been doing anything all that special. And you knew it was going to be a good match if you followed their careers. They were, you know, they're, they're both uh, uh, very skilled. And so, and it was that. It was a good match. But, yeah, there was just no reason for the crowd to really be all that excited about Perazzo winning. And, uh, you know, but, I mean, they, they they were into it, kind of. But, yeah, it's just a... Uh, I, I think the the better Matt or the uh, the better call would have been to go with the impact World Championship, but again, the benefit of hindsight., uh, but it was a good uh, show overall. really enjoyed it, and I am curious to see will they do something with uh, the husband and wife duo of Steve Macklin and Diana Perazzo? Is that something we can expect to see uh, when they uh, tape television for Thursday? Uh, will they end up uh, kind of leaning into that? Will they just kind of leave it alone and let them do their own thing separately? I'm not sure. Uh, But there is that possibility. But when it comes to the overall show, I I think that Impact really did a nice job under some tough circumstances. Losing your top champions in both your men's and women's division, heading into one of your uh, quarterly pay-per-views. You know, they only have four a year uh, of the major shows, the actual pay-per-view events. And you lose both champions. That's tough, you know. And I I think they did an admirable job. Uh, They didn't get to hype strongly until Thursday, that both titles would be, uh, there'd be two new champions because they had to wait to see if Mickey James was going to be ready. But I think that was a good selling point on the pre-show. I didn't feel like the pre-show did enough to really sell the show with the two matches they had. But, uh, you know, if, if, if people weren't following along and they saw that, maybe that would be enough of a hook that, Hey, there's guaranteed to be two new champions and uh, the uh, this direction they chose in both cases, worked for me. And so, yeah, I thought this was a a good quality effort from Impact overall. As I said at the top, I would recommend a replay if uh, this was something that appealed to you on paper. It's not one of those where, oh my God, you must see this show. Impact's had better shows, but I did feel like it was a a good entertaining event overall. And remember, gang, if you enjoyed this audio review, if you're listening on the boom side of things, we do this for all the major pay-per-views and television shows. Same night for most of the uh, the major television shows and certainly for the pay-per-views. And so, whether even if you don't listen uh, late that night, uh, it's it got to be nice to know that it's there for you first thing in the morning. I know that there's uh, some podcasts that I listen to that I enjoy that aspect of. it, just knowing that I'm going to wake up. It'll be there uh, for you. It might be for your morning commute. It might be while you're having a coffee. It might be while you're starting work. Who knows? But uh, those uh, audio reviews are there for you. And so, again, consider pwmembership.net. Uh, check that out if you're interested in membership or patreon.com slash pro wrestling, D-O-T-N-E-T. And if you'd like to reach out to me on Twitter, it's at ProWrestlingNet. Thanks for listening.